and welcome to the Westside Church's special Monday Morning Coffee Podcast. On this podcast, our preacher, Mark Roberts, will help you get your week started right with a look back at yesterday's sermon so that we can think through it further and better work the applications into our daily lives. Mark will then look forward into this week's Bible reading so that we can know what to expect and watch for. And he may have some extra bonus thoughts from time to time. So grab a cup of coffee as we start the week together on Monday Morning Coffee with Mark. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Monday Morning Coffee Podcast for Monday, February the 27th. I'm Mark, and I have a big cup of coffee in my hands because it's going to take a big cup of coffee to get covered everything that we want to talk about today from the sermon yesterday, part of our preaching theme for the year, Hosea, all that's going with that. I have a lot to talk about, and as I'm talking about that, I'm thinking about this cup of coffee because this cup of coffee comes from Cometeer, that's a company that makes coffee, and then they super freeze-dry it like 8 zillion degrees below zero, and they ship you this little frozen ball of coffee, and you just pour hot water on top of it, and it makes a great cup of coffee. At least that's what they say, and I have some friends who really, really like it because it is so easy to make, and there's not a lot of fiddly coffee gear and all of that, but I got to tell you, I'm not so sure... I think it's a good cup of coffee, but it's not a great cup of coffee. I'm still thinking about that. The jury's still out over here. Going to drink this cup of coffee today, but just because it takes a little bit more time to make a cup of coffee, if it's great, isn't that kind of worth it? Isn't that not even kind of worth it? Isn't that totally worth it? Isn't it time to talk about our sermon yesterday and quit talking about coffee? The answer to that question is yes. Let's get started. So yesterday I preached on the heart and what it is to have a heart for God. Having a heart for God is our preaching theme for this year. It's something the elders selected and it has really been challenging to grapple with that. We use the term heart in so many different ways and I think sometimes we really have a shallow approach to some of these ideas but I want to get to the core of what it means and how to have a heart for God. And so yesterday, talking about deep commitment and loyalty to the Lord, talked about David's soldiers a little bit, really love this passage in Psalm, Psalms 86, verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. The problem of a divided heart afflicts so many Christians. And one of the things that I want to add to what we talked about yesterday is that if we don't unite our heart, we're just going to multiply our problems. When you, at the core level, what you are, what you choose, what you're doing, your character, who you are, when you aren't settled on your identity, when your heart is divided, then you don't know who you are, which means you don't know exactly how to act in every situation or what to think or what to value, what to prioritize. You kind of end up being like the chameleon who changes his colors so that he can fit in. And when he's on the bark of the tree, he's brown, and then he gets on some leaves and he's green. And you see that sometimes in chameleon Christians. They 
They don't know who they are. They haven't united their heart. They haven't given God their whole heart. And when you live with a divided heart, it's going to mess with your mind because it's complicated and difficult to know, am I green today or am I brown? It's complicated and difficult to be worrying about, am I going to be found out? Are people going to find out that yesterday I was pretending to be this, I was brown, and now the green people are mad because I'm pretending to be green, but they know I'm really brown? It just makes a mess out of life. Unite your heart. Give God your whole heart. Remember, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. And that passage, as I said yesterday, isn't really talking so much about cleanliness, purity, as it is talking about single-minded focus. Unite your heart. Give God your heart. Follow Him wholeheartedly. And the book of Hosea is an incredible place for us to be when we're talking about uniting the heart because that is the problem with the people of God that Hosea addresses. Let's think about daily Bible reading. Monday's reading is Hosea, the 10th chapter, the first six verses, Hosea chapter 10, verses 1 to 6. And here we start with vine imagery in verse 1, and the idea is the more Israel prospers, the more, verse 2, they end up getting involved in sin because their heart isn't right. You see that in verse 2? Their heart is false. So there's going to be punishment for this. They're building altars, not altars to God, of course, and they're doing all kinds of things, but they're going to be destroyed because they're not serving the Lord. And then verse 3 really starts that pride theme again, and I have to admit that if someone had asked me about the book of Hosea, I would have said, sure, I know about the book of Hosea, but I don't think I knew about the book of Hosea. I certainly didn't know about how much there was talk here about pride and arrogance. And here it is in verse 3. Maybe the king here is Jehovah. We don't have any king. We don't need any king. Maybe they're just saying we don't want to respond to earthly rulership. We're not going to respond to the king in the capital. I, I think maybe in some ways it fits better with thinking about this being God. But they utter empty words, and that may relate again to the people's relationship with God, and maybe even again to the earthly king, to their relationship with society. We're going to do what we want, when we want, however we want to do it. The result of all of this, verse 5, is that the calf that was set up in Bethel that they are so proud of is going to become spoils for the Assyrians when they come, verse 6, Shalmaneser is the great king there in verse 6, and carry them away into captivity. And I want to say a word about Beth-Avon there. Remember, the calf was actually set up at Beth-El. Beth is the word for house, and El is the Hebrew word for God. Beth-El, not we run it all together, Bethel, but it is Beth-El, the house of God. But here the prophet calls it Beth-Avon, and Avon is the word for iniquity, the word for wickedness. So the prophet takes a not very subtle swipe at the house of God, city of the house of God, is the city now that just is the house of wickedness. 
The emphasis then, as verse 6 concludes, is about the mourning that will follow when their idol is taken away into captivity. And somewhere in all of this, you have to be mindful of what happened in 1 Samuel 4 when the ark was taken in battle and Israel mourned that the ark of God was gone. Now they mourn that their idol is gone. What a change in the people of God. Let me give you one more note here. We don't get a lot of messianic stuff in the book of Hosea. There's not a lot of of Jesus references, but the idea of Israel being a vine in 10.1, that is the background. For Jesus is saying in John 15, I am the true vine. That's based on passages like this and passages like Isaiah 5 that portray Israel, the people of God, as being a vine or being a vineyard. Jesus comes to say that he's the true Israel. And of course, he can make us be part of the true Israel when we are part of his body. Finally then, I guess I would say this, I I think this cup of coffee is going to turn out okay. Um, Given that there wasn't a lot of work, practically no work, boiling boiling water on top of something, a little capsule of coffee isn't much. Um, Yeah, it turned out okay. I'd probably give it a strong B and uh, yeah. Going to enjoy this. Hope you're going to enjoy the rest of your Monday. I'll see you tomorrow as we continue in chapter 10 of the book of Hosea. It is Tuesday, and this is a huge Reap What You Sow passage. Hosea chapter 10, verses 7 to 15 is our reading for today. And if you need figures of speech and metaphor to answer question 4, they are everywhere in our reading today. The high places of Avon, then, the places of iniquity are going to be destroyed. And look there, the expression, fall on us, cover us, and say to the hills, fall on us, that is the background in New Testament verses like Luke chapter 23 and Revelation chapter 6. That judgment language in the Old Testament comes right out of the Old Testament, and that's where we should see these allusions being rooted in and why it's so helpful to read the Old Testament. Verse 9 talks about Gibeah, and that's the reference to Judges 20. The terrible event there in the tribe of Benjamin, horrible sexual immorality, just terrible, and that leads to a civil war, and the tribe of Benjamin is nearly exterminated. So this is one of the lowest moments in Israelites' history, and Hosea says, from those days on, it's just been downhill from there. So I will have to discipline them, verse 10. There's double iniquity going on. Think about what are the two major sins Hosea has been talking about. And then verse 11, Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thrash. Now, if you don't know farming practices, and you see me here raising my hand, yeah, that's me, then you may not get the calf loved to thresh, and I spared her neck, and I'm going to put her to the yoke. The idea here is that threshing is very easy on a cow, very easy on an ox, uh, just stomping on the wheat and to cause it to separate from the chaff. But of course, plowing is very hard work. Note verse 12, it is the ray of hope and ray of light in everything that we are reading. And once again, it announces God's incredible grace. Verse 14 makes mention of Shalman. That's probably Shalmaneser. And we don't know where Beth Arbel is, House of Arbel. We do not know exactly about that battle. But if you read verse 14, you see atrocities are going to be committed. And the Assyrians were famous for that. Please get fixed in your mind that when a prophet comes and says, 
Assyria's coming, that was utterly terrifying in a way that, that we struggle to have any kind of recognition of. If you do some Googling around on the internet and you want to go back and read about the history of the Assyrians and, and see what kind of things that they did, your hair will stand on end in no time at all. They were famous, for example, for piling up a bunch of skulls by the city gate so that all would know what Assyria can do. And I want to say this, that's one of the tamer things the Assyrians would do. So Assyria is bringing judgment, and that is just going to be dreadful for Israel. See, tomorrow we'll begin in chapter 11, one of the most amazing chapters in the book of Hosea. Good morning. It's Wednesday morning. Maybe I shouldn't say good morning. I'm not sure when you're listening to the podcast. I think most of us are doing our daily Bible reading to start the day. So good morning. It's Wednesday and we're reading Hosea chapter 11. This whole chapter is about restoration being possible because of God's love. Today we're reading the first seven verses, and the image here is of a rebellious son and a loving father. This is the prodigal son right here, but God is begging the prodigal son to get out of the pig pen and come home. It is an incredible chapter of grace. And once again, we've talked a lot about this prevailing, pervasive notion that God is just angry and wants to bring judgment and chapter 11 just wrecks that thought, just, just destroys that kind of thinking as God pleads with his child. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Out of Egypt I called my son, by the way, is quoted in Matthew chapter 2 and is applied to Jesus. Once again, Jesus is seen as the perfectly obedient son the perfect Israel, if you will, the people of God personified in Jesus. He is the perfect one. He is what these people are not. He is obedient to God. And God gets very personal here, and just just the whole passage burst with love. It was I, verse 3, who taught Ephraim to walk. What a common image that is. You see daddy holding the toddler's hand and helping the toddler to walk, and the toddler splats, and daddy lovingly picks the child up and dusts the kid off and says, hey, you can do it. Let me help you, and holds a little tighter, and together they're walking and learning to walk. Yet they did not know I healed them. Verse 4 may shift imagery here. There's debate. This could be still more child-parent metaphor. It could be changing over to the training of a farm animal. And then verse 5, you get some clarity about what it means to go back to the land of Egypt. Not really going to go to Egypt. Egypt is going to lose the power struggle to Assyria. You're going to go to Assyria. That's going to be bondage. It's going to be like Egypt, but it's not Egypt, Egypt. It's going to be Assyria, not Egypt, literally. And the sword will rage against these cities, but you just get a strong sense of God's heartbreak that his people refuse him. They are bent, verse 7, on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he'll not raise them up at all. They're not calling out in genuine repentance, are they? Or God would love to rescue them. More on that in Thursday's reading. See you tomorrow. Welcome to Thursday, and today we're reading Hosea chapter 11, verse 8, to chapter 12 and verse 1. The chapter division is very difficult here, and it was hard to make the cut 
particularly because it seems like maybe 11 and 12 versus 11 and 12 may go with 12, one that goes over into the next section, or it may be in a, a section entirely to itself. So we'll just have to do the best we can today reading Hosea 11, verse 8, down through chapter 12 and verse 1. And we just start with such an emotional statement by God. Adma and Zeboam, verse 8, are those cities that were destroyed with Sodom and Gomorrah. And this passage just just pours out God's heart and His grace. He does not, verse 9, want to destroy them. Even in a book full of judgment language, God is not trying to bring His wrath to bear upon them. They deserve it, but He just keeps hoping they will turn to Him. There's so much hope in these verses on God's part, but it certainly doesn't seem like the Israelite people are responding to the message of Hosea in any fashion at all. But he is hoping, verse 10, that he can call like a lion. The lion roars. That's a powerful sound announcing maybe the lion is announcing that I have food, I have killed my prey, come all the lions, the pride of lions can gather there and, and enjoy that. And I think about God at Sinai, the mountain quaking and shaking, and the people of God came to Mount Sinai. It was terrifying to be in His presence, but it was what they needed to be. Will they come? Verse 10, they shall go after the Lord, and they'll come trembling. But there, there's just ideas here in verse 11 of their flightiness and, and how they, they, they go to Assyria, they go to Egypt. We'll get some of this in chapter 12 and verse 1, these political alliances that they keep wanting. And now verse 12, they're, they're just unfaithful. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies, the house of Israel with deceit. Then this last bit of verse 12 is difficult. The ESV follows the Septuagint translation. The Septuagint is the Greek version of the Old Testament that was translated after the book of Malachi. Uh, after the book of Malachi was written, time between the Testaments is when the Septuagint was done. And the ESV follows that. Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. However, the New American Standard does not follow the Septuagint. Instead, translating a little bit more along the lines of Judah is still playing fast and loose with the Word of God. And that's probably a better translation, as much as I like my ESV, given, look at 12.2, which we're going to read tomorrow, the Lord has an indictment against Judah. It doesn't seem like in this section Judah is being called out for being faithful. It seems like it's probably more consistent to see, as the New American Standard translates that, that they are not serving God. This is a this is a, a calling out, this is an admonition, this is a rebuke of both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And then 12.1 completes that. Ephraim, that's always where Hosea's main message is going to land. He's mainly concerned about the nation of Israel. Ephraim feeds on the wind. They pursue these alliances. They make a covenant with Assyria. Then they're doing business with Egypt. They're going back and forth. Who's going to help us out? We'll do business with anybody. We'll make a deal with anybody. We'll make a covenant with anybody except God. More on that tomorrow as we'll read chapter 12. Welcome to Friday. You've made it through another week. I would remind you that the Westside Preaching Conference is going on today. It actually started yesterday, and if you could be in prayer for the preachers as we study today and as we work together to try to be more effective heralds in the kingdom of God, it would I would really appreciate that. We have so many men that come. This year we have more than 30, and we have special 
special instruction going on in how to teach some specific books of the Bible. Really would appreciate your prayers in that regard. Let's think then about Hosea, the 12th chapter. Our reading really here begins in chapter 12 and verse 2, and we'll read all the way through the chapter. Again, Hosea's main message is to the Israelites. That's where he really is landing, although he says something here about an indictment against Judah. And he starts by recalling Israel's history. In the womb, verse 3, Jacob took his brother by the heel. And if you remember in Genesis chapter 25, when the twins were being born, Esau and Jacob, Jacob grabs Esau by the heel and that becomes that becomes his name. He is named Jacob because that means supplanter, or the, the one that grabs. And it really has the idea of, of being clever, of being a trickster. In fact, Esau will even say when he gets fooled, when he gets taken advantage of by his brother, he will say, I've been Jacobed. I've been cheated. I've been deceived. I've been tricked by the one that, the grabber. The, that's, that's who has tricked me here. And so the Lord changed his name. Remember when Jacob wrestled with God and God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. You're not going to be the trickster anymore. You'll be the one that relies upon God. And now the Lord calls on him, calls on the people of Jacob, the people of Israel to be what they should be. They should be God's people. And notice verse 4, for the first time we get Bethel, not Beth-Avon, Bethel the house of God. That's the place where Jacob worshiped God, covenanted with God. If you will bring me home again, I'm, I'm running from my brother. I'm going to go try to find a wife with, a, with the people who know the Lord, with my relatives. But if you'll bring me back here, then I will serve you. We'll be in covenant relationship. Jacob has that great dream there with a ladder and the angels going up and down to heaven. God's going to be with him. God's going to protect him. And so now, calling all that history up, Hosea is be the people of God. Be what your forefather, the patriarch, promised God that you would be. But the answer, unfortunately, verse 7 is, we're getting rich being false and fake, and we're not going to change, verse 8. I have found wealth for myself, and so I'm just going to continue in iniquity and sin of every kind. Israel is not interested in serving God, so God says, I will make you dwell in tents again. You know, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booze, was a reenactment of the time in the wilderness. Everybody had to go outside and live in a tent. Orthodox Jews do that to this very day to remember the time in the wilderness. And so the Lord says, don't you remember your wilderness time? It's going to be like that again. It's going to be like that again. And then verses 10 to 14, they're, they're kind of broken and a little disjointed, maybe to show God's distress at what's happening here. But the theme through this is the theme of prophets. Prophets who watch for the people, prophets who guard the people, prophets who call out sin, verse 11, the sin that's going on in Gilead, um, prophets who watch over God's people. The prophet in verse 13 probably is Moses there. And so Moses being seen as a prophet, the one who gave them the word of God and who guarded them, but Ephraim is not listening. They don't care. And so the Lord can do nothing else but repay him, verse 14, for his disgraceful deeds. If you're not going to be the people of God, then judgment has to follow. That is Hosea chapter 12, and we'll pick these ideas up in Hosea chapter 13 when we resume the reading in Hosea on Monday. 
Thank you for listening to the podcast this week. If you like what you're hearing and it's helping you in your Bible reading, we would love for you to follow, subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or whatever app you're listening on. Most of all, we'd like for you to tell other folks about the show. That helps them and helps the show have more listeners. So until next week, I hope your coffee is delightful, even if it is uh, freeze-dried and dropped in the cup like I began the week with. I hope your coffee is good, and I hope your Friday is wonderful, and I hope the Lord will be with you today, all day. I'll see you on Monday with a cup of coffee. Thanks for listening to the Westside Church of Christ podcast, Monday Morning Coffee with Mark. For more information about Westside, you can connect with us through our website, justchristians.com, and our Facebook page. Our music is from Upbeat.io. That's Upbeat with two P's, U-P-P-B-E-A-T, where creators can get free music. Please share our podcast with others, and we look forward to seeing you again, with a cup of coffee, of course, on next Monday.